The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and I'm joined this week by Sarah Sanchez, uh, the lead voice at Bleed Cubby Blue. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to get to meet Sarah for the first time at First Pitch Arizona this this past weekend. Uh, but as is always the case at, at First Pitch, you just never have enough time to, to chat with everyone you want. And so I'm, I'm really excited to get Sarah on the pod to talk Cubs and really kind of go in depth with, with some Cubs talk. Uh, so thanks for joining me, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I always love talking about the Cubs, even when they're disappointing me. <laughs> well, they, you know, in terms of teams that were bad last year, I think there's a lot of just very interesting pieces that are kind of maybe ascended last year and maybe there might be another level there or they're, they're players that we're really excited to see debut this year. Uh, but I kind of want to first get your take or your kind of prediction in terms of how you think the Cubs will handle this offseason and whether you think they are going to try to take a, a big step forward next season or maybe just kind of use next season as another opportunity to kind of get their young players some reps and, and still kind of feel out who's going to be a part of the next great Cubs team. Yeah, that's an awesome question to start. So keep in mind that the Chicago Cubs team last year was not close to contending. I worked on a piece during the playoffs that looked just at position players to start. I'm working on a piece uh, with starting pitchers that will come out probably in the next couple of weeks that really just compared the amount of value they got from those position players relative to playoff teams. So looking at the fan graphs war they got from their position players compared to say the Cardinals who won the division. And to put this in, into uh, context, the Cubs got 15.6 at war from their position players last year. 3.3 of that was from Wilson Contreras who rejected a qualifying offer yesterday and will not be returning to the team. Uh, the Cardinals got 32.6 from their position players. Like these two teams are not close. And even when you look at a team like the Phillies, who were the last team in to the playoffs, they got 21.4 or 21.5, something like that, uh, wins above replacement from their position players. So the Cubs have a ways to go. They have to add somewhere between nine and 15 wins above replacement just on the position player side of things. And they're short on pitching too. So it's not like this team is looking to add one bat or they're like a shortstop away from competing. What they probably need is a shortstop, a center fielder, 
a first baseman. Now they need a catcher and at least one starting pitcher plus some bullpen help. That's a tall order. And yes, they have room in the budget to do all of that since they're sitting at a $166 million payroll with one of the most lucrative franchises in baseball. But they also keep talking about how the only type of spending they're going to do is intelligence spending, which is Jed Hoyer consultant ease, as far as I can tell, for eh, look for more, say, a Suzuki type signings and Marcus Stroman type signings and don't dream too big on Trey Turner. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there, um, but it it you're kind of hearing that sort of phrasing from a lot of GMs. Uh, and it's kind of sad and disappointing that you're hearing it from GMs of teams in massive markets like, uh, you know, Chicago and, and Boston. Um, you mentioned, say, a Suzuki. I, I think the early returns are that that was quite a good signing. Uh, I think uh, he has the highest ADP currently of any Cub on the roster. And I was... I've, I've done, I'm a degenerate. I've already done three drafts and I've wanted Suzuki in all three and I've been um, kind of beaten to the punch on him. Uh, I think he's going to just be a very, very popular uh, target for people uh, given sort of how outfield sort of falls off. Uh, the steamer projection came out on him at uh, 262 average, 349 OBP. Uh, 26 homers, 11 steals, 86 runs, 80 RBI, and 141 games. Uh, and that's that kind of passes the the test for me. Like that's kind of what I was sort of expecting before that came out. Um, what stood out to you about Suzuki in his debut season, and how would you kind of project how you how you see him performing in 2023? Yeah, I love the Seiya Suzuki signing. I think he's an outstanding addition to the Cubs team, and he definitely fits the bill of intelligence spending. I mean, he, it's a pretty cheap contract relative to the production that he can put up. Um, I actually think, if anything, the steamer projections are probably light on him. I, I watched him a lot this last season, and the thing that I really noticed, like in his at-bats, you can almost see him processing information, processing the way pitchers are approaching him, processing the way the field is positioned, processing the break on pitches and how umpires are calling things, which by the way, the umpires definitely treated him as if he was just another rookie and not somebody with like a super impressive career in Japan. He had so many called third strikes that were out of the zone or on pitches that are just not competitive. And it was pretty frustrating to watch as a fan. Um, I think that Seiya Suzuki is going to do a couple of things that make his ADP totally worth it. And honestly, I think it'll probably rise through draft season. He runs. He runs a lot. And this Cubs team is not scared of running. They don't have the type of power that they need in order to have batters just or have guys on base just wait for somebody to drive them in. I think the larger bases and the new pitching rules are going to mean that a guy like Suzuki is going to run more than the steamer projection uh, thinks that he will right now. And I think that he could easily hit 20 steals in 2023. Um, but the other thing with Suzuki that really stands out, you know, when he first came over last May, Hiroshi, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Mayashita over at um, the Fangraphs community blog. So like the side where you can just kind of contribute, uh, did a piece where he looked at the MVP stats for players who came over from Japan um, their last couple of years before they came over and when they first got into MLB. Seiya Suzuki is a better pure hitter than Shohei Otani. He's a better pure hitter than Shohei Otani in every single way. And if you look at some of these numbers, and I'm just going to see if I can pull this over 
really quick because I was honestly just super impressed with this. The last two seasons that Shohei Otani played in Japan, he put up WRC pluses of 181 and 164. The last season Seiya Suzuki played in Japan, he put up a WRC plus of 199. The ISOs that Shohei Otani put up in Japan for his last two seasons were 266 and 208. Seiya Suzuki put up a 322. So I think as soon as he figures out more of this league and has better intel on it, he is going to break out and he is going to break out in a major way. He has not shown that he can't hit breaking or off-speed stuff. He's just shown that he needed some time to adapt to it. So I would not be surprised to see Seiya Suzuki blow that projection out of the water. And he has absolutely no competition for a job. He is going to play a lot as long as he's healthy. Where do you, like, how many home runs do you think he, let's just say he plays like 141 games, like the steamer projection. Like, where, where do you sort of see the power settling in for him? Honestly, I think he could be a 30 home run guy. I, I, I saw him go on some runs last year where what his power stroke just kind of got in the zone and he was just mashing baseballs. He Every time that happened, he got hurt. Like, and they were kind of fluke injuries. I think he hurt a finger trying to steal a bag, I, you know, just little things. But I, I would not be surprised to see him put up a 30-20 season. And I think where he's going in drafts is actually a little low right now. I haven't gotten him either because I've, I've only done the one draft at this point. But I he went a little bit later than I thought he should. Yeah. I, I'm still kind of kicking myself for, for not taking him. It's, it's tough in these, these very first drafts of the season. You're just, even if you want someone, you're still kind of feeling out where you got to take them. Um, but yeah, I, I co-sign um, targeting Suzuki uh, for sure. Uh Another guy, the, a guy that I actually have gotten uh, one share of so far is uh, Nico Horner. And, um, you know, he's someone where the, the bat to ball, the hit tool, that's kind of been his sort of bread and butter um, ever since they, they drafted him. Um, but, you know, 10 homers, which is fine. But the, the 20 steals last year has kind of made him a, a trendy target in these early drafts, because I think people are, are projecting everyday playing time. There's, you know, a little bit of power, but then there's the speed, uh, the, the batting average. Um, do you kind of see Horner picking up where he left off last year? I mean, you, and then also you mentioned that they ideally would go after a big time shortstop. Um, do you see him as the start, the opening day shortstop or the opening day second baseman? That's a great question. So one thing I want to add to your uh, superlatives about Nico Horner, it looked like he was going to hit 300 before a little slump at the end of the year brought that average down to 281. And, and I really think he just ran out of gas. He had never played that many games before. We talk about that with pitchers all the time, like where they hit their innings limit and they just sort of peter out. But I think the same thing can be true for position players. I think we saw that a little bit with Nico. At the end of the year, I think he's probably capable of putting up a 300 batting average season with the exact same numbers that you just said, maybe even a little bit more power. The shortstop situation is really interesting to me because by outs above average, Nico Horner was the second best shortstop in baseball. The only shortstop who was better from a defensive position was Dansby Swanson. And when you look at the breakdown of those outs above average, Dansby was really good to his right, but uh, had negative two outs above average to his left. Nico is actually like pretty evenly distributed between both his left and his right. So it's possible he even has better range there than Swanson, who was the only person defensively, at least by that metric, that was better than him there. That said, I think if the Cubs go out and add one of these premier 
shortstops, that person is going to presume that they're going to play shortstop and Nico will just have to settle for being a gold glove second baseman, which is perfectly fine by me. I think that would give the Cubs a pretty lethal situation up the middle and their pitching needs that they're pitching. They their pitching is such contact based. Uh, they're such a contact based rotation that they need a good defense behind them in order to keep runs down. Um, I think that Nico's Bat to ball skills, as you mentioned, are totally legit. I think that the power will only improve. His approach at the plate has gotten better with time. And, and he's not going to be, I don't think, like a 2025 home run guy. But I definitely think he can sneak 10 to 15 of his live line drives over the wall over the course of the season. And that's what he did this year. Yeah, I think when I'm when I target Horner, I'm basically hoping for 10 to 15 homers. So he he doesn't need to get to 20 to be a really nice piece for you in fantasy. And I totally buy the, you know, the batting average possibly going higher uh, next year. I mean, um, I know like Eno Saris and I co-manage a dynasty team and he was pushing for us to take Horner before last season. And I just didn't, I, I thought the power was going to be more kind of like five homer power. And so I was kind of pushing against it. And this was an OBP league, so a little less valuable than in a batting average league. Um, but the, the just the fact that he proved that he can be a 10-homer guy is really interesting given the fact that that hit tool could just be outstanding. Um, and then, you know, stealing the bases, 20, 20 steals last year. Uh, if he just does that again, you know, you could be talking about like a, a little bit of a, a Tommy Edmond type of guy for fantasy. Um, so I, I, I really like... Uh, Horner right now as you know maybe a middle infielder um ideally you got maybe a, a better shortstop and a better uh second baseman but um yeah he's he's great um one more thing to add there I mean he's another guy that's going to benefit from these new bags and new pitching rules whatever I, I I think that the ceiling of 20 stolen bases might be a little bit light for him there he could easily become like a 25 steals guy and that's super useful yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, a guy with really loud physical tools, uh, but kind of more uncertainty in terms of his playing time than Suzuki and Nico Horner is Christopher Morell, who just really, I think he I, he shocked me by what he did initially after after getting to the big leagues last year. And I got to assume, like, even those highest on him, probably didn't see that those first like four weeks uh, coming. Um, but then he kind of, you know, leveled off, uh, wasn't always playing regularly. Uh, they kind of moved him all over the place. Do you, do you see him as someone that will develop into a everyday player on a good team or is Morel destined to kind of move around from, from org to org, or maybe sometimes be stuck in, in a utility role? That's a really great question. I love Christopher Morrell. I think he should be playing every day for someone. I was honestly pretty frustrated that the Cubs decided they needed to see more of Zach McKinstry and sit Christopher Morrell for parts of the season. I mean, no offense to Zach McKinstry, but like one of these dudes has shown us what he is. And the other guy looks like he has the potential to be a 2020 guy if he can figure out breaking and off-speed stuff, which is where he kind of fell off. So, you know, you talked about the start of his career. He had a 22 game on base streak to start his career. That's the Cubs franchise record, um, which is how he powered those numbers early on. But the thing that was really impressive about that is for those first four weeks, he actually had 
a better strikeout rate and a better walk rate than he had ever put up at any level of the minors. And he came straight up from double A. I think he played some triple A in 2021, but he skipped the level Mm -hmm. in 2022, came to the major leagues and started putting up the best numbers of his career. So I am certainly interested in seeing more of that. And I don't understand why the Cubs thought that they needed to see more of Zach McKinstry or Alfonso Rivas or whoever they were giving playing time to on the days that they were sitting Christopher Morrell. I the we'll have the answer to this in two possible forms. If the Cubs sign a center fielder, if they decide to like go after a Nima or something like that, I think that Christopher Morrell probably doesn't have an everyday playing role because he'll he is he has gotten most of his time at center field right now. He can also play second, he can also play short, he can also play third. I think right now, um, at least in the leagues I was playing in, where Christopher Morrell definitely saved me in a couple of places, including Tout Wars, where he came in up huge for me. Um, I think that he has second base, shortstop, and outfield eligibility at the moment, but he says his best position is third, and he definitely has the arm strength to play third. Um, I think the Cubs view him as their fourth outfielder utility type of option. And I I honestly wouldn't be shocked to see him spend some time in AAA to work out this breaking and off-speed issue. If you go to Baseball Stunt and look at his stats, it is incredibly impressive. His barrel percentage is in like the 91st percentile in the league. His sprint speed is at the 88th percentile in the league. The other guys who can say that they're in like that 90 to 8, like plus 80 percentile range, by the way, are... Byron Buxton, Teoscar Hernandez, Julio Rodriguez, O'Neill Cruz, and Ronald Acuna Jr. So that is like some really excellent company that Christopher Morrell is keeping. And also he hit like 178 against breaking stuff. Like that is not going to play in the majors. He's going to just get, he's got to figure that out. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him get some time in AAA to figure that out. But I love Christopher Morrell and when and if he does come up, he's a potential difference maker. Yeah, you know, the guy that he uh, reminded me of um, just kind of physically uh, and kind of for better or worse, you mentioned the, the breaking stuff was sort of uh, a Carlos Gomez type at, at the plate, just with the the crazy power potential, crazy stolen base potential, some other shortcomings. Now, he's if he were as good of a defender as, as Gomez, I think they would just let him sort of figure it out in center field. Um if I were a Cubs fan, I would just want them to find a way to give him a lot of playing time this year, just to sort of see what you have because that upside is, is so alluring. Um, but yeah, that that's one where, you know, you, you take him now in a draft and we get to opening day and he is kind of cleared to, to be the, the center fielder. You're feeling great. Uh, but as you said, like you could take him now and, they could sign someone ahead of him. Um, so that's that's definitely one to watch. Yeah, he's only 23 years old too. So there's just so much potential there. The player comp in Cub circles uh, that he got from his time in the minors was Javi Baez light. And what people meant by that is that, you know, the hands are not quite as fast. Uh, the power is not quite as loud, but also the strikeout potential is not quite as bad. Like he is going to take more walks and he is not going to wave at every single slider that is out of the zone. So it's kind of one of these situations where you like take a little bit of the edge off of Javi Baez and you wind up with a pretty dynamic player who could who could really have a huge impact. I'm going to be curious to see how the Cubs handle that situation. All right. We are going to head to a quick message from our sponsors, but when we come back, I'm going to get Sarah's thoughts on a a cub, a former cub who is very close to her, to her heart. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back. Uh, Sarah, I, I obviously follow you on Twitter, and I know you have some thoughts on Wilson Contreras. Uh, you just wrote about him. Uh, what What are you... What are you feeling about Contreras sort of heading into the the heat of this off season? And, you know, what are the odds that he is back uh, with Chicago? Well, so I'm going to admit right now that a lot of my posts here have been sort of a pressure campaign to rally up the fans and put some pressure on the front office to see what they have in Contreras. I can read the tea leaves as well as anyone. It's pretty clear that they were trying to trade him at the deadline. I mean, it looks like they almost had a deal to get Jose Arquiti from the Astros for him straight up. Jeff Passan dropped that. Uh, last week and that would have been a huge coup it it actually now makes a lot of sense why they weren't willing to settle for some of the lesser offers that they were getting from other teams if they thought they had that Arquiti deal in place but the Red Sox then came in and offered Christian Vasquez for like basically nothing and the Astros did that instead so I think that Wilson Contreras is probably not going to be a Chicago Cub uh, in the future he rejected the qualifying offer on Monday um, that just is what it Monday, Tuesday, I'm losing track of days. I'm still, I'm still a little jet lag from first pitch Arizona, but he rejected the qualifying offer. And so he's going to hit free agency. And I imagine that someone is going to pay for his services. I think there's a couple of things here that, and to be clear, he's my favorite player. So I'll try to be as non-biased about this as possible, but I'll stick to some stats. You know, he is the best hitting catcher in the national league and has been for multiple seasons. And he only gets better when there's something like the DH to rest him a little bit and spell him so that he's not behind the plate every single game. If you look at his stats from 2020, from 2016, when he played a lot of games in the outfield where they, when they had David Ross and Miguel Montero also on the roster and from 2022 with the DH, Wilson's offensive numbers just jump off the charts. In fact, right before this show, um, I went and checked. He would have been the fourth, fourth best hitter in the league with 450 plate appearances or more at DH, just at DH. Like he basically put up the same WRC plus as George Springer. That is an exceptional bat to put in your lineup, whether you want him to catch or you're worried about his framing or not. Um, I think that robo umps are just around the corner. That's something that most people anticipate will be in the league in a season or two. I think that controlling the running game is going to be a huge issue next year. And so the fact that the guy has one of the best arms in the league behind the plate and controls the running game really well, he was John Lester's personal catcher of all things. I mean, his job was to make sure that nobody was going to run uh, off Lester who cannot throw to first base. So I, 
I think it is a huge mistake on the part of the Cubs to let that type of uh, asset go. Um, you know, he's been in their system half of his life. He signed when he was 16 years old uh, in Venezuela. He's been in the system for 14 years. He's never played anywhere else. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed as a fan um, that the Cubs have decided they can just let that type of offense walk. The way I put this to people when I talk to them about it who aren't super into baseball, I, I understand that a lot of teams don't have catchers who are uh, truly offensively oriented and they get away with that. But if you start, if you're a runner, you start from a place where you're like an 11 minute miler and then you go run your race and you put up a 10 minute per mile pace. That's good. Like, that's great. You had a great race. But if you started from a place where you're running eight minute miles and you put up a 10 minute per mile pace, that's bad. You had a bad race. Something went wrong that day. I feel like the Cubs have gotten a lot of offense from that catching spot over the years. In fact, the second most offense on the team last season. Uh, and they're not going to do that, which means they almost need to add two bats to replace Wilson because the next best option that's on the market for them is probably Christian Vasquez, who is basically slightly less good at everything that Wilson Contreras already does. I imagine that the Astros will probably have some interest in Wilson Contreras. We already know that their front office thought that he was worth a few years of Jose or Kitty. Um, I think that the Red Sox and Cardinals will probably be in on him as well. And I will be cheering for Wilson wherever he goes. Yes, even if it's St. Louis, but I refuse to cheer for the rest of the Devil Birds. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, as soon as you lose a Wilson Contreras, you're looking for another one. And it's not like they have some awesome catching prospect who's ready and Contreras was going to be getting in the way of. And, uh, even the teams that have excess catchers to trade, I mean, I guess maybe the team that has excess catchers to trade in, in Toronto, they're going to just be looking for uh, the sun and the stars for, for any of those three. And so it's just, you know, if if they felt comfortable with him, I'd, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, you're they've got the money to spend to, to keep a guy like that around. And with RoboUmps coming, I mean, his one – deficiency could could have been completely mitigated there so uh i i definitely understand your frustration uh with the way that all played out <clears throat> um so per uh fangrass war last year was a career year for ian happ uh do you expect is this kind of just the ian happ we can expect uh heading into next year is is this kind of what he is right now a couple of years ago, I wrote a piece called Will the Real Ian Happ Please Stand Up because he is so volatile in terms of yep. if you look at his like 15 game rolling WOBA or his like rolling K rates, like he it is just these massive, massive spikes. He is either an MVP caliber player or he's like all unrosterable, honestly, like in terms of a fantasy from a fantasy perspective. There have been times where it's just like he's. I think at one point he struck out like 40% of the time before he got sent to AAA for the first five months of the season to work out whatever was ailing him, right? Um, he managed to smooth out those peaks and valleys a little bit. If you look at that 15-game rolling Woba chart over on Fangrass, which is one of my favorite tools, um, you, can, you can see that those peaks and valleys have collapsed a little bit. And I think part of that had to do with he, he just got a lot more comfortable at the plate and with his approach this season, he he seemed to not be reaching for the ball as much. When he, when he starts reaching for the ball, he winds up hitting everything into the dirt. His launch angle collapses, and it doesn't even matter how hard he's hitting things. He's just hitting into double plays everywhere, and he didn't do that 
this season. So I think there's no reason to believe that's not a sustainable change for him. He also played better defense this season than he's ever played. So he, he wound up with a gold glove in left field. And I, I, you know, at the start of last season, there was a conversation as to whether he was going to lose that left field job to Clint Frazier, who now goes by Jackson Frazier. There was a real uh, question as to whether somebody could come in and take that left field spot. And now it just seems like it's Ian Happ's as long as he wants it. I will say one other thing here though, because Ian Happ is the, is at a perfect time to trade high for the Cubs and they did not trade high with any other member of their core. So if they think that there is somebody coming up and they do have some very intriguing outfield prospects in terms of Pete Crow Armstrong, in terms of Brennan Davis, that is a place where they have a lot of depth in the system. They would get a very good return on Ian Happ if they were to trade him after the season that he just put up for a full season of his services next year. And frankly, I every time I look at how far the Cubs are from competing with the Cardinals, with the Brewers, with the Phillies, with like the basically every team in the NL who is competitive right now, it seems to me that 2023 is going to be another season of let the kids play and win 74 games and just sort of see what happens. So it would not shock me if they traded, if they traded Ian Happ and just signed like a one-year free agent deal for that spot um, and tried to flip them at the deadline. Yeah, some of the, some of that analysis kind of hit close to home for me because uh, I I had a lot of Ian Happ in uh, 2021, and I dropped him pretty much everywhere when he was below the Mendoza line, and then he was great basically from there on out. And then I was probably the last person to uh, share, to sell my uh, Clint Frazier stock, and had <laughs> I still have friends who make fun of me for. Uh, holding on to the, the hope of Clint Frazier panning out a little too long. So um, I, I had some Clint Frazier stock and I, I did not have any Ian Happ stock this year because I was just convinced that he needed to like scrap switch hitting and just work on being a solid left left handed hitter. And um, and I was wrong. I admit that I was wrong. Um, but I also think that the Cubs missed the opportunity. I mean, they non-tendered Kyle Schwarber. They traded Anthony half a season of Anthony Rizzo instead of a full season of Anthony Rizzo at his peak, right? Like they could have gotten so much more for their farm system if they had not held on to all of these guys for so long. And I think that's probably something they're thinking about right now over 1060 West Addison. So obviously you were in first pitch Arizona. That was great. Um, Matt Mervis, I feel like, was maybe the most discussed player there certainly the most discussed player who has not made his big league debut yet uh i've been very kind of aggressive on where i've ranked mervis over the past few months and i think even even now like you know i would still probably rank him a little higher than i than i have him um i've talked to some uh non-prospect aficionado drafters who are really smart and who are all over Mervis without seeing him against big league pitching and his ADP. It's just uh, it's like a rocket ship right now. Um, do you think the hype for Mervis is appropriate in this moment or has it gone a little too far? <laughs> this is such a loaded question. I love it. Okay. So I love Matt Mervis who we uh, on Cubs Twitter call mash Mervis and yes, there are t-shirts and you should get one cause they're great. Um, the thing that really jumps out to me about him from his 22 season is how much he cut down on his K rate at each level 
while increasing his power. And so he started the season at high. He was striking out 24.1% of the time, goes to double A, strikes out 20% of the time, goes to triple A, and that gets down to 14.6% of the time. The last time I checked his Arizona Fall League numbers, and admittedly it's against worse pitching than what he saw in triple A, he had struck out something absurd like 6.5% of the time. In fact, there was a moment where he had six home runs and six strikeouts and 55 plate appearances in the Fall League, which is just bananas. And then, you know, we were at the Fall Stars game. It was so cool. And he comes in in a situation with Jordan Walker on second. You've got this raised, like, sidearm delivery guy with this funky action. So I was really curious to see what Mervis would do against the new arm slot because one of the concerns about him has been that he's going to struggle with holes in the zone, specifically anything that comes up high a little bit. I think Keith Law was the first person that I heard question whether Matt Mervis would be able to catch up to high fastballs in the zone. And Mervis hits a no doubt home run to center off this kid. It's like the sidearm thing didn't throw him at all. He sees two pitches and then just like mashes one to center. So I am very in on Matt Mervis, but I do think it's worth noting that if there is a problem uh, that has not been exposed at AAA yet, we will see it in the majors and a lot of guys come up and then struggle against one pitch or struggle against one quadrant because the pitching at the major league level is just so much better than anything that they can see in the minors. He has no competition for that first base job. The Cubs mantra of intelligent spending probably means they're not going to go out and add a Jose Abreu or an Anthony Rizzo or something like that, that would provide competition there. They'll just let the guy who's going to make the league minimum fill that spot and have a run at it. And he should have a lot of run at that position. So a uh, couple of follow-ups. Uh, do you, I, I mean, I, I, I really don't quite understand this one, but uh, a lot of people, you know, the, the instant thing to do is look at roster resource and look at the projected lineup and they have Mervis platooning uh, didn't really show any, major issues against left. I mean, he's better against righties, but he did, he wasn't bad against lefties by any stretch in the minors. So do you think he opens the year as the everyday player, as the, as the everyday first baseman, or do you think he opens the year in a platoon? And then second uh, to that, um, what do you think the reason for them not like giving him a little bit of a cup of coffee at the end of last season was, do you think they just wanted to give more at bats to some other players to just kind of, give them all the chances they could knowing that Mervis was going to be the guy this year? Well, second question is a great one, but I honestly think that the reason he didn't get a cup of coffee last year is because he'd already jumped two levels during the course of the season. I, I think that they were just going to let him sort like sort of play out the thread in AAA. I mean, going from high to MLB in the course of one season would be a lot. As for the platoon question, I think we're going to get an answer to that in spring training. It's sort of like the Christopher Morale question. And if Mervis comes to play, and I, I have no reason to believe that he's going to take his foot off the gas. Uh, I was talking to Eno Saris about him at the Fall Stars game, and, and Eno mentioned that, you know, he um, was very deliberate about looking for places where he thought he would have an opportunity and then just working really hard to seize that opportunity. And I think that uh, that Mervis is in a perfect position to take that first base spot for the, the Cubs. I, I don't see anything in the stats that indicate he needs to platoon. I mean, I suppose he could look exposed in spring training or something, and that could change. But at the moment, 
I think the Cubs will give him a shot at that position, assuming he has a great spring. And I have no reason to believe he's going to have a bad spring after what I saw at the Arizona Fall League. It was truly impressive. He looks like he is worth all of the hype. And I cannot wait to wear a Mash Mervis shirt to his debut. Yeah, I wanted to. I was I was also talking to Eno about Mervis. And uh, I wanted to give the Cubs a bunch of credit because, you know, getting a guy that was the the 2025 round draft where he was a undrafted free agent. And so like getting a guy uh, who could be this good, this quick uh, as an undrafted free agent would be quite a, a boon for an organization. But then it did sort of seem like they got him because they didn't have anyone else at the first base depth chart uh, in the org. So, um, you know, Mervis just seems like a really bright guy, uh, really bright future. Uh, if he, you know, if he kind of does what he's been doing in spring training next year and there's nobody there to platoon with him, I mean, you're just, you're going to have to take him inside the top 200. Um, that's just going to be the price. Um, so I really like Hayden Wesneski. Uh, you know, I, I know they've made some moves in terms of trades that, that you maybe haven't loved but i mean turning efros into hayden westneski seems like a, a really big win for them uh i'm i just haven't been able to buy justin Steele though and uh steel is probably more proven in the majors i guess but um i i don't quite buy it and they're going kind of right next to each other uh, borderline top 300 picks right now uh what's your evaluation on on westneski and steel as we head into 2023 Okay, so when I got the rundown and I saw this, I, I wanted to actually ask you a little bit of a question here because, and I will definitely answer your question. I'm not, I'm not passing by any stretch of the imagination because I do buy what Justin Steele is doing, and and I watch Justin Steele a lot. I, now, don't get me wrong; this is no shade to Wesneski. I think what Wesneski did is super impressive. That slider is legit. Um, I was at his debut and happened to have seats right behind home plate, so I got a real, real nice look at it and. He struck out eight in five innings in his debut and gave up one hit. I mean, it was honestly just one of the filthiest pitching performances that I've ever seen in a major league debut, and I was giddy watching it. Um, so he definitely, Wesneski is going to get a shot at the rotation. I would take him around the same place that Steele is going, and I would not feel bad about it. I think they're probably like the three, four, four, five in the Cubs rotation, depending on what they do with a free agent signing. And I do think they need to sign one starting pitcher who is hopefully at least as good as Marcus Stroman and maybe better. That would be ideal from my perspective. Um, but I'm curious uh, what you're what you're seeing with Steele that you're not believing in, because what I see with Steele is that he had a Woba against him of 301 for the first half and 285 for the second half. And the thing that I believe in here. You know, he started the year and he was kind of up and down, like some starts were pretty good and some starts were pretty rough. And then he had some conversations with John Lester, who gave him some tips on um, pitch strategy and game planning and ways that he could be more effective. And he just almost never looked back. His ERA in the second half was minuscule. I don't have it in front of me at the moment. But the thing that ended, the, the reason Justin Steele kind of flamed out is just because he hit his innings limit and he'd never pitched as much. And so he, he kind of came down with, I think it was a back injury or something like that, like tightness or soreness or something, but they just decided to shut him down um, and let him come back next year. And I, I'm, I think Steele's spot in the rotation is secure and I'm really excited to see what he can do. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's – it's fair. I think he's totally fine. Um, you know, back-to-back -back years of a one three five whip as a heavy ground ball guy, 
uh, and I'm, I'm very protective of my whip. Um, and I, you know, if I'm going to take a guy that I think is going to have a, a high whip, it has to be someone where I just think that the strikeouts are going to be, um, pretty intense. And, uh, you know, from his days as a prospect, uh, I think durability was an issue at times. Um, just kind of looking at, you know, last year, it looks like it was probably his, uh, career high in innings at, at 119. Um, and then, you know, the, like, do, do you think the strikeouts, like, I don't know. I just, when I watch him pitch, I don't, it doesn't seem like the stuff is as good as, as uh, the, the strikeout rate last year shows. Uh, but really for me, it's, it's kind of the whip concerns me. Um, especially like a, a ground ball heavy guy who now doesn't have the shift uh, to help him. I just, I worry I'm drafting like a one, three, six, one, three, seven whip and a guy who's just not going to get to double digit wins or like 150 strikeouts. No, those are fair concerns. I, I think that of all of the Cubs pitchers from last year in that like middle reliever slash back of the rotation. And so we're talking Justin Steele, Javier Assad, Caleb Killian, uh, Hayden Wisniewski, Keegan Thompson. Like there's just this whole crew. The Cubs have gotten very good at creating number four and five starters and guys who can like fill out a bunch of innings in their pen. They have not yet gotten good at turning those guys into aces, but I am hopeful that the pitch lab has a plan for that. I think that Steele was the best, the cream of that crop. He was the best one by far. Um, I'm a little bit less worried about the shift concern, although that's a valid one. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that. A bunch, mainly because I think what's going to happen is they're going to sign a shortstop who moves Nico to second, and I think Nico at second is going to be a vacuum cleaner. It's going to, it's going to, he's going to be one of the best defensive second basemen in the league. He was already one of the best defensive shortstops in the league, and so I think that that will really help a guy like Steele, a guy like Stroman, a guy like Kyle Hendricks if he comes back from the shoulder injury. Okay, I think part of what we saw. Um, with Hendricks the last couple of years is that the defense behind him got a lot worse. And so his pitching got a lot worse. It's really hard to outperform your fifth like Hendricks did for so many years when the defense behind you keeps, you know, getting worse. Um, but the the other thing with Steele is I do think that they're, that he's still learning how to game plan at the major league level. I think that's why those conversations with Lester were so important to him. And I think that that's a huge asset that I'm happy David Ross is deploying there. The last thing I'll say is that Steele of all of those guys is the guy that I think will get a shot to throw the sixth inning or to face the third time through the order and see if he can grit it out and what will happen. David Ross left him in in those situations a couple of times towards the end of the year. And, and Steele did not disappoint. He got out of those, you know, he'd get two guys on, no out and get out of it uh, with, two strikeouts and a ground ball or something like that. So I think that Steele, I, I like his makeup. I like the way he approaches the game and I like the improvements that I've seen. Um, one note uh, before we we move on from these two pitchers though, that I do just want to mention, I, I don't, I have more innings concerns about Steele than I do about Wisniewski because as you mentioned, Steele, I think capped out at like 119 innings last year. Wesneski threw 140 plus innings between mm -hmm. his time in AAA with the Yankees and the Cubs and his time in uh, the majors. And, and that's a big difference. Like 30 extra innings of work is a pretty huge difference from a baseline. So I would take Wesneski before I would take Steele, but I am not scared of Justin Steele. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all very fair. Uh, and I mean, you're, you're dead on with Wesneski on the innings. Uh, I mean, his, uh, 
you know, usually I like my sliders to be hard, uh, but when your slider has that much horizontal break, uh, you can you can sit in the the low eighties like like Wes Nesky does. Um, so you mentioned a, a couple of these guys, but you know, I was one of the guys I was probably most wrong about uh, this past season was Caleb Killian because I was like he really he really sold me with what he did in the AFL last year. And I know the the numbers in the minors were, were good to, to find for most of the season, but uh, you're not, it's, it's not hard to get Caleb Killian in a, in a draft champions league right now. Let's just put it that way. And then you also have uh, Keegan Thompson, who at times was kind of a, a trendy pickup. And then same thing with, with Javier Assad or, or any of those other guys, um, players that you would recommend going after in any of these draft and hold leagues? Of those three, I think the Javier Saad has the most upside. I remember watching him pitch uh, against the Mets and Ron Darling was just like raving about him on the Mets broadcast and that caught my attention. I mean, Javier Saad was not on my radar at all and when he came up getting quality starts for the Cubs, I was like, what is this? what is going on? Do they just have a never-ending font of like six starters down in AAA who can throw six innings of three-hit baseball with one run? Because this keeps happening, and I don't understand where all these Adrian, Sampson, Keegan, Thompson, Javier Assad types are coming from, but I'm here for it. More, please. Um, I think Javier Assad has the most upside at the moment. I totally agree with you regarding Caleb Killian. I was, I was very on that train. I was super excited about it. I bought my, when I heard a rumor that he was getting called up before it was announced, I bought my ticket on StubHub immediately before the prices could jump up from $6, which is what Cubs tickets are on StubHub (laughs) these days. Cause I knew I was not going to miss Caleb Killian's debut. And to be clear, he had a couple of really nice outings uh, when he first came up, but I think he mostly was revealed as a location guy. And the second that anything went wrong, like his, if, if he like got out of his legs a little bit in his motion, or if he like tweaked something mechanically, it fell apart really fast. And, and I, I think that is correctable. I think he's still young and it's something that they are working on, but I need to see more from Caleb Killian before I can put him even in the category of like Keegan Thompson, who I Keegan Thompson is a boring pitcher, but he should definitely be rostered in a 15 team league because he's going to, he's going to throw a lot of innings. He's going to get a lot of wins. He's not going to get a ton of strikeouts. He's going to give you a serviceable ERA and whip, and he's going to be on somebody's roster in a 15 team league. So if you're looking for that last starting pitcher, it might as well be yours. Um, I think that Javier Assad is the guy who could probably jump into a next tier like a Justin Steele or something. But I think that Keegan Thompson is a safe bet for innings and really not sure what's going to happen with Caleb Killian. If he'll start the season with the major league club, or if he'll start the season in AAA while they try to figure out how to make him more consistent so that he doesn't fall apart when his mechanics change just slightly. Yeah. It seems like they're, you know, pending any free agent moves. Uh, It seems like there's going to be a bit of a competition sort of at the back of that rotation. Um, And probably all the guys we just talked about are going to be in that mix. Uh, I'm not giving up on, like I'm, I'm willing to kind of buy low on Killian uh, in, I mean, like he's just, the price is low enough where I think uh, he just didn't look like the same pitcher to me last year as he did in 2021. I don't know if he was dealing with something physically, but uh, just didn't seem to have the kind of, um, fluidity 
and electricity on on his off-speed pitches and uh i think i want to say the velo is maybe not quite where it was uh towards the end of 2021 so maybe you know full off season to kind of work on some things he can get back to to being that guy um but yeah i think you know odds are he would have to have a pretty good spring training to 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 break camp in that rotation um now I'm I'm in a very very slow draft right now, and Adbert Alzelay and Brandon Hughes just went like back to back in I don't know like the thirty first round or something like that, which I thought was interesting. Uh, I have been pretty intrigued by what I've seen from Alzelay as a reliever. I never really bought into him as a starter, but uh, you know with the the fastball and the the slider, I think relieving makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I say all that to say who is going to lead the Cubs in saves this year? <laughs> well, that's the million dollar question. If I had the answer to this. <laughs> um, so I, in my draft champions, uh, draft at first pitch Arizona, I took a flyer on Cody Hoyer in the late rounds because he was part of the return and the Kimbrel trade. And honestly, um, I think that if he's healthy, he's a guy who could wind up just seizing that closer position and just, and just holding it. Right. But, uh, the, the other possibility there that I think is really interesting is uh, relates to two of the guys that you just mentioned. I, I could actually see the Cubs platooning Brandon Hughes and Adbert Alzali for saves. And, and the reason for that is that Alzali is a, can be a dominant pitcher. I, it's another guy was at his debut. He struck out like five Mets in a row in the heart of their lineup. It was outstanding and wonderful to behold. Um, but he has been very bad against left-handed batters. Yep. And, and when I say very bad against left-handed batters, I wrote a piece a couple of years ago that the worst against left-handed batters in the majors. And it was not close. And, and when the lefties hit him, they hit, they hit him for home runs. They hit him for doubles. They slug just an, I, I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was, it was enough that my heart just kind of sank. And so I don't know if throwing fewer innings and being able to throw harder and staying healthier fixes part of that problem. But there seems to be something about the way that he throws that just, it's not sneaking past lefties at all. And so I can imagine a situation where David Ross has Alzali close, unless there's two or more lefties due up in the ninth, in which case it's Brandon Hughes, who, God, Brandon Hughes is just a fascinating story to me. He was drafted as an outfielder, and the Cubs basically told him, hey, you're not going to be an outfielder, but we are interested in converting you to a pitcher. And so would you like to try that? And he was like, well, sure, I'd rather stay in the organization and pitch than not be a Cub anymore. And now he's a you know, he's a pretty decent reliever who's getting some saves anytime there's a bunch of lefties coming up. And so I wouldn't be shocked to see the Cubs sort of platoon the closer position, uh, as it were. And I also wouldn't be shocked if Cody Hoyer or Jeremiah Estrada, who I also think has had electric stuff at times, just sort of seized that role with a really strong spring. So it's, it's a, it's, there's a lot of options out there. And unfortunately that's not going to help people as you're drafting in November. (laughs) Well, you know, your people are always looking for uh, relievers to go after in the, you know, the back half of these these uh, draft and holds. And I mean, Cody Hoyer was a guy that I was had heavy exposure to last year, and obviously couldn't use him at all. Uh, I hadn't really been on him just because I don't know if we can expect him to be ready for like opening day. Um, what, what's your, I mean, have you heard anything on that? Like, I think it was a uh, March Tommy John, right? 
Yeah, I think it was like uh, late March. I want to say it was like March 20th or March 22nd is the date that I'm thinking of. Um, I haven't heard anything. I'm sort of anticipating that he'll be ready to throw again by May. Um, and I, I, my hunch is that the Cubs are going to be kind of in this situation where it's like a little bit of Hughes, a little bit of Alzali, a little bit of Anderson Espinosa, a little bit of Jeremiah Estrada, a little bit of Manny Rodriguez. It's going to be just kind of a hodgepodge back there through the early part of the season. And that is going to leave a door wide open for Cody Hoyer to just walk in and seize that job. Um, and I, and I think he has the stuff to do it. I was really impressed with him when I saw him with the White Sox. Yeah, I, I was as well. Uh, I like that call and you're, you're dead on, on Alzale's, uh splits. I mean, that's part of why I never bought him as a starter. And in fact, uh, I almost never played DFS, but I remember like a year or two ago, I did a, did an entry of like a lefty stack against Alzale just because I was like, Smart man. <laughs> you know, um, so that's, you know, Alzale, I think he would have been a nice sort of sneaky option uh, if the price was a little lower, but I think everyone sort of sees like the velocity and sort of how he finished the year. And um, I think that's really wise to point out that they're probably not going to want to use this guy if you got some lefties coming up. Um, okay. So uh, I'm going to try out a new segment with you, Sarah. And right. uh, this is one that I'm going to try to finish off uh, the rest of the podcast this off season with, uh, with my guests. Um, but it's going to be an ADP buy sell segment. And we're going to start with the 11th round of 15 team, NFBC ADP. Uh, I think it'd be a little bit more interesting if we kind of sort of start uh, in sort of the middle of the the pool and kind of go down from there. And because it's you know buy sell, you know, you're if we start in the first round, it's like how many of those guys are you just not on and, and that type of thing. So we're going to start with the eleventh round. So that's players who are on average going after pick one hundred and fifty, roughly, and the fifteen players who are going in the 11th round on average are Dustin May, Pablo Lopez, Chris Sale, Jesus Lazardo, Max Muncy, Nico Horner, Hunter Renfro, Chris Bassett, Luis Garcia of the Astros, Jeffrey Springs, Josh Rojas, uh, Tony Gonsolin, Sean Murphy, Jose Miranda, and Lance McCullers. So your assignment for this uh, gimmick that I'm testing out today is to pick a player that you are really buying of those 15 and a player that you are not interested in at all of those 15. Uh, So I appreciate you playing along here. Um, Would you like to tell me which, which player you're buying? To be clear, we've already talked about Nico Horner, so I'm going to pass on trying to sell people on Nico Horner again because I think I already did that. Um, I am super in on Dustin May in this group. I know that he was not particularly great when he came back after Tommy John. I think he put up like a 4.5 ERA, slightly better FIP, but like not that much better. Um, But I think that that kind of is to be expected. I mean, he basically was just getting his work in um, after having major surgery. So it's weird to think that he would just come back and be like, 
an, an immediate 2.5 ERA guy. Again, I have always loved Dustin May. He has a lot of pitches. They have a lot of movement on them. He strikes guys out. He's fun to watch. He's just like everything about Dustin May screams ace potential to me. And I think he's going to exceed the steamer projections on him, which are already pretty good. Like I would take him in this group at the 11th round with the steamer projections he currently has that have him for 146 innings pitched with a 26% K rate, a 7.7% walk rate and a 3.6 ADRA. Like, I think that's a perfectly great guy to take in the 11th round, but I think that he's going to do better than that. I think that the Dodgers uh, pitching development and pitching coaching will help him exceed that. And I am very in on Dustin May in the 11th round. I'm probably in on Dustin May in like the eighth or ninth round, honestly. <laughs> I like it. Uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that ADP ends up settling on him. I mean, if he had pitched as well uh, down the stretch as a lot of people thought he would, he wouldn't be going in the 11th round. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely get that one. Uh, I, I'm i really torn with uh, who I'm going with in this range. Um, I'll be honest, the only person going in this range that I have on any of my three teams is Nico Horner. Uh, so I think just by default, I'm going to say Nico Horner because I've probably taken him on the clock with a bunch of these other guys available. And I like a, I like a lot of the hitters going in this range. Um, I am kind of off of some of the more uh, injury prone pitchers. Uh, I I'm with you on Dustin may. Um, but I, you know, there's some other pitchers going in this range that I'm not uh, buying necessarily, but uh, Nico Horner. I mean, I, again, like if you just get a, let's just say he hits 285, 290, something like that with the chance that he does quite a bit better than that. And then, uh, Again, I, I don't think you need to project more than 10 homers um, for that to be a really nice pick. Uh, it's just it's tough to find those double digit homer uh, 15 to 25 steel guys that aren't going to hurt your batting average this late in the draft. So and actually are going to help your batting average this late in the draft. So I, I'm going to go with Horner as my uh, player to buy in this range. Um, so. Who is the player that you're out on here? Uh, I am so out on Chris Sale. The Red Sox are my AL team. I've watched a lot of Chris Sale over the years. And at this point, I really just feel like he should have a label on him that's like fragile will break with any with no warning. Like, I mean, I, the man breaks his ribs sneezing. He break. I, he like throws throws and something breaks randomly in his body. And I've been worried about that since his White Sox days. I mean, he does have like this kind he 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 looks fragile he looks breakable like and 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 he has been um in the last few years look when I get it when he's on he's electric he's great he strikes out a ton of batters and I just I don't think you can possibly imagine him throwing a hundred plus innings I, I I see no world where that would happen and the injuries have just been consistent they have been frequent they have been and they've been weird right like it's not it's not like he's constantly injuring the same elbow or something it's like Random injury X just comes and finds Chris Sale. Um, the other thing there with him, and I mean, I know that 
he would say this makes this is just him being a major league athlete and its intensity or whatever. But he, he's kind of a head case. Like you just sort of never know what is going to break Chris Sale mentally on a given day. And I, I'm over watching the tantrums and I'm over watching, you know, the like I'm going to slash up the uniforms that I don't want to wear so that nobody can wear them. It's just a ridiculous situation. So I would like no, no part of Chris Sale. There's like six guys on this list I like better than Chris Sale and somebody else can take him. Yeah, he's kind of a psycho. So uh, out, so out. <laughs> if he if he if he injures himself in a punching something out of frustration move again, I mean that that's probably a record. Uh, like a steel cage match between Chris Sale and Tommy Pham. We'll see what <laughs> happens. Oh man, I I don't know how I'd handicap that one. Um, I mean, they both they both would be really into the fight. Um, Fam, obviously stronger, um, lower center of gravity, uh, probably less breakable. <laughs> uh, so the guy that I'm out on here, honestly, it's, it's, it's most of the pitchers here. Um, I like your pick on Dustin may, but I, I mean, I'm probably, if I'm taking a pitcher in this range, it's probably one of the more boring guys like a Bassett or a Luis Garcia or Jeffrey Springs. Um, but the guy that I'm out on, I think, is is Lance McCullers. Uh, pretty much always out on McCullers at his cost. Uh, he just always walks a ton of guys. Rarely stays healthy. Uh, that's a team with just a ridiculous amount of pitching depth. I'm not saying they're going to not use McCullers if he's healthy, but um, I just think you're really paying a lot here um, for a guy that threw – you know, 50 innings last year and uh, has, you know, walk, has walked over 11% of the guys uh, last couple of years. So um, I just don't know why why you'd go McCullers over someone like Springs or Bassett. Um, so that's the guy that I'm out on. Yeah, I would also be out on McCullers and definitely agree with you that Springs over, Springs over McCullers for sure. Well, Sarah, this has been great. I uh, really appreciate you taking up the, the time out of your – out of your work day. Uh, why don't you let people know uh, where they can follow you and uh, what you've been working on? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at BCB underscore Sarah. And I've got all the list of like my other alternate uh, social media stuff pinned to the top of that account, just in case, you know, Twitter implodes or something at any second, which who knows what's going to happen with Twitter these days, but you'll, you'll still be able to find all of my stuff. But if you go there and you can see, the list. I've been working on a couple of things. I, you know, you mentioned the Wilson Contreras piece that came out um, earlier today. He's my favorite player, my favorite Cub of all time, honestly. So it's it's a little bit less statistics heavy and fact heavy than some of my stuff, and a little bit more like anecdotal. And um, these are the things that I just love about Wilson Contreras that I'm gonna miss a whole lot. Um, but you can also, uh, I'm also working on a look at the value the Cubs need to add in pitching to be competitive as a companion piece to that position player uh, piece I referenced earlier, and that should be out probably in the next week or two. So sort of just looking at how far behind the eight ball are the Chicago Cubs relative to competing, despite the fact that the front office keeps telling us that they do intend to compete in 2023. Well, that's awesome. Uh, definitely check out what Sarah's working on and uh, give her a follow on Twitter at BCB underscore Sarah. Uh, thanks again for joining me and uh, I'll be back with another guest next week to kind of wrap up the AFL.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.